Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, the podcast for product marketers and compete pros looking to give their companies a competitive advantage. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and today's episode was our live version of the podcast. My favorite episode of the month, honestly, my favorite hour of the month. We have folks live in attendance, dropping questions, giving their takes, agreeing, disagreeing with everything we talk about. And in this episode, we dove into the world of battle cards with two of Clue's resident battle card experts, Hunter Sones and Sylvia Rayner. Hunter and Syl are competitive enablement consultants at Clue, which essentially means that they're helping customers, prospects, anyone in the industry improve the maturity of their compete programs and also improve their compete content, including battle cards. They had a ton to share. They've seen hundreds, thousands even of battle cards, the good, the bad, the ugly. They shared these stories, what they've seen folks do to fix their battle cards, where they start from scratch, some of the teams you should be bringing in to build the best compete content possible. And of course, Ben, we got a lot of takeaways and questions brought by folks in the community. A big, big shout out to those who came on camera to ask their questions. You are the reason why these events are so much fun and so engaging. Um, so shout out to Raina Hawthorne, uh, David Cox, Scott Hassel, Ashley Isinger, and Clue's own Clara Smith uh, for coming on camera and dropping their knowledge. We appreciate you all very much. Absolutely. I love when people can kind of share their two cents, share their experience. Uh, that's what makes DC Live so fun is it's not just a bunch of experts sharing, you should do this. It's people sharing their lived experience. What did they do wrong? What did what do they wish they could do better? What are some tips that they give others in the space? So again, thank you to everyone in the Compete community who showed up. We'll do another one of these in a month's time. And with that all said, let's get into today's conversation with Hunter and Sill. Hunter and Sill, for those in attendance that don't know what a competitive enablement consultant is, can you can you share a little bit about, about your roles at Clue? Yeah, for sure. Um, and first of all, Adam, wanted to say like thanks to you and the team for for hosting this today and for having us. Um, you know, we do a lot of work with you know prospects and with our customers and talking about compete all the time. So it's really, really exciting that we get to talk about battle cards today. Um in terms of like, what does a competitive enablement consultant actually do? So it kind of goes back to, to what I was mentioning around working with our prospects, working with our, our customers to help them understand how to leverage best practices to level up their compete program and to level up their, their competitive content. In a nutshell, it's as simple as that. So anything to add on that one? No, I, I agree. We do a lot of different things. It's like part value consulting, part solutions engineering. Um, but basically, yeah, we try to keep keep tabs on what are best practices, not just like internally, but in the industry. And so taking all the learnings from all the conversations that we have, um, liaising with our content analyst team, our insights team, data operations, and everybody so that we can all kind of like stay on the on the cutting edge of like what it means to, to compete really well in all markets. Um, yeah, it's fun. All right, before we dive into some of the, the points we're going to get into, some of the data we found, I want to start things off with a couple polls for folks in attendance. So I'm going to launch the first one here. Give me a thumbs up on the camera if everyone can see the questions. Thumbs up, thumbs up, we can see. All right. So first question is 
really, what's the biggest obstacle you're running into today with building battle cards? And if there's none of the above here, or there's something else that's causing you pain, I see one or two in there as well. Drop it in the chat. What's the what's the other obstacle you're facing when it comes to building battle cards? Ooh, we're seeing like a decent mix here. What do you think number one is? Hunter yourself the top of the head when you see those answers. Mm, adoption. Adoption. Now I'm just I'm going from memory now because I can't see the <laughs> I voted. <laughs> So now I can't see what the options were, but adoption comes to mind. Mm, time. time. We're hearing a couple of things on time from Brooke Rain and Veronica. We'll get into that. We'll get into how you can be more efficient with building your battle cards today for sure. Um, okay. Can folks see the results here? Let me share the results. Boom. So low adoption. You guessed it. Sill. that's number one reason. Not sure what topics or cards to prioritize. And then what? the heck do I actually include to make my battle card better? Uh, and then there's another part as well around time. Got one more question as well before we get into everything. Which is your favorite battle card to use? What's the one that's most popular with your teams right now? We talk about a bunch of these different types of battle cards in our course um, through the battle card audits that you and you two both do hunter and sell so what do you what do you predict in here hunter which is the most popular card for folks i'm thinking it's the the why we win why we win why we lose yeah all right and again if you I see a couple answering other if it's not one of those let me know what it is right, let's share these results hunter you nailed it you two i think know a thing or two about battle cards it is why we win and why we lose is the most popular. Okay, we're done with the polls today. Let's get into how the heck we can build better battle cards. So as we mentioned off the top, there was this article and we found some common trends and mistakes we see with battle cards. So first things first, what is the most common red flag or mistake that you two see when you conduct battle card audits today? Wall of text. That's the one that gets me every time. I, I, I open up a, a battle card that we're, we're looking to audit and it's just way too much information all on one big wall of text, no graphics, nothing to indicate like how important some information is versus others. I think that's a big one. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like when you look at, oh, sorry, so go for it. No, no, just could continue go hunter i was gonna say like we look at so many different types of battle cards so we look at things that are like it's the it's the classic like 30 page deep dive competitive battle card all the way to here's like the one page couple bullet points that type of thing i would say that the biggest red flag that i see is that there's really no guidance around how to use that content so seller pulls up this, this battle card to prep for a conversation with a prospect or with a customer. They see all of this information, all these facts and figures, um, all of this research, which is like extremely valuable stuff. But what do you actually do with it? What's the step that you should take um, to actually communicate those competitive insights effectively? And what should you prioritize? So really no guidance, no uh, actionability uh, around what to use and how to use it. And that's, again, it aligns up with some of the audits we saw that a lot of battle cards, 95% of battle cards had 
background information that you need to know about a specific competitor or a relevant insight, but then it completely shrunk to 43% of these battle cards include talk tracks to use or proof points to share. I think actually it was 19% of the battle cards are actually just showing any kind of proof points to validate the claim you're making, the point, the, the, the objection you're handling, anything to prove that you're not full of it when you're responding. Why, why do you two think that it's so common for this wall of text, red flag, as you call it? <laughs> Andre, you ready for me to answer that? Okay. Hunter. So I think, I think it comes from a good place. I think it's when, I think it happens often when there's really good research that's been done and it like, there's a tendency to not want to waste anything. Right. So it's just a misunderstanding too, of like, what is actually relevant to some, a seller that's in a deal um typically it, it should be the opposite it's like all the background context like general company information things like that that's something that somebody's generally going to look at when they're first getting to know a competitor but once they're in a deal cycle and they're talking to prospects they want to know like bullet points i think of it as a cheat sheet or like a sticky note you know you want to see like what is it i actually have to say in the moment and then behind that you have proof points customer stories or anything that you might want to dive deeper into, say if somebody um, questions like the talk track that you use, but you want to kind of hide those behind those main, like important talk tracks that are right up front so that somebody just, cause they could be looking at it right when they're talking to somebody and like, you really want it to be that, that cheat sheet. Like, what do I actually say? Yeah. Hunter, when you, when I still mentioned sort of like the the main, like the TLDR, like what's the headline and then the kind of information on how to use it. What, what does that look like? So typically when I think about that, it's like for each competitive insight, you sort of have like two very broad things that you would want to include. Like you have, what is the actual research and what's the context? So what do you need to know? And then the next thing is like, what do I need to do with that information? You know, is it showing something in particular? Is it a talk track? is this the right time for me to pull in my solutions engineer or something like that? But that's sort of, I think what's missing. There's a lot of the research that's been done, but there's really no context around what to do with the research. So on that point, you mentioned there, like proof point is something that you could show or something that how, how to utilize a piece of competitive, competitive insight. Do you, have you worked with some customers or seen some examples of what a good proof point would actually look like then to, shift from wall of text for folks, anyone that's going through sort of this wall of text syndrome right now with their own battle card, how do you actually incorporate a proof point? What do they look like? How have you seen customers do that successfully? Yeah, that's an, it's a good question. So there are a lot of different types of proof points. I think that's important to, to point out that you can include um, in a battle card is sort of like, here's what to show. Because we think about the no say show framework, right? Which is like, what's the background context of an insight? What's the talk track? And then what's the proof point that goes with that? When we think about proof points that you can show, it can be a number of things, right? It can be a customer quote. It can be a story. It can be a case study. It could be an article. I think one example that comes to mind was there was um, a landmine to lay, which was basically around how important is, um, I think it was like network uptime or something like that to you. Um, and that was something that the that company did extremely, extremely well, but the competitor didn't do so well. You know, they had uh, a history of, of outages and the proof point was actually just an article showing how this uh, this competitor had, you know, X number of uh, of network outages over the past six months. 
And so that's the type of proof point that, you know, it's not a customer story, it's not a case study, but it was actually just an article that helped reinforce that competitive insight. And I thought that that was pretty powerful. So that was a really good example, uh, I think, of using a customer proof point to reinforce an insight. Yes, still so there's, so you mentioned like, so 19% of battle cards you tour auditing have proof points. Is there, what are the recommendations? So if you, you're showing that to, to, to some of these, these folks that you're helping improve their battle cards and it's like, well, this is something you could do. How do they get there? Like, what are the things they should be looking for to find proof points? Where are the sources of Intel? What can they use? How can they incorporate that into a battle card? So. Definitely customer stories. I think one of the most powerful ones too, is if somebody, if you have a customer that has switched over from a competitor, that competitor, that's really valid. Like that's a really good proof point um, because then that person can speak directly to um, perhaps like what features have been highlighted by that competitor, but said why they actually like you instead. Like that's one of the most powerful ones. So talking to your customers, great way to find proof points. Um, actually somebody put in the chats, like G2 quotes, absolutely like reviews, um, reviews that can be found online. Um, sometimes those are like a little bit more challenging to validate, but if you can see themes in reviews, um, that are, that are popping up. So if you could show somebody that there's like a series where like a number of people are all saying the same thing, that's pretty good proof. Sometimes it has to be like technical information, right? Depending on what industry you're in, um, it may just, you just may need like technical documentation support for proof points, like somebody you're selling printers and somebody needs to know, like, it's like, it's, it's kind of like black or white, like this, you, you have this DPI or you don't, and you have to, but you have to know, again, it's like, what's actually important. And then I, I feel like always bring it back to like the value, um, not just like getting into too much product feature differentiation, ideally it's the story, right? What's the mm -hmm. story? What's an analogy? What make it real? Like Hunter just did like use a specific example, um, I think those things are really resonating with people. Yeah, 100%. Hunter, we were chatting yesterday or whenever we were chatting, we chat a lot. I like to ping Hunter a lot of times on Slack. And you were mentioning sort of this example of uh, a customer actually you've been kind of working with and, and what they've been planning to do to improve some, some of the proof points and some of the other teams they want to work with as well to generate proof points. Could you share a little bit about that that story? Yeah, yeah, that's... So we were working with a customer a little while ago who had, it was like, it was a very classic sort of um, like a, a classic content audit where we were looking at, okay, what are the areas for improvement within their existing battle card content? And one thing that we'd identified is that there was incredible research that had gone into, into the battle card, but there was really a lack of actionability, sort of coming back to that what do I do with this information? Now that I've done the research, what are the steps that you know a, a seller should take to use this information? And so we're trying to figure out how do we improve that? So what we had suggested actually was um, working with the customer marketing team. So the customer marketing team was putting together uh, lots of things like case studies, customer stories, quotes, and things like that. And there was this, you know, pretty large repository of all of that information. And what we had suggested is really trying to figure out how do we map those customer stories, those quotes to what's in the battle card. There are going to be examples of the customer or, you know, our, our customer or buyer chose us 
because we had this feature or we had this service or were able to consolidate our products and services in a way that our competitors couldn't. And so being able to take those insights from customer marketing and blend those into the battle cards was a really interesting way of getting those proof points in there. This is, I think we've talked about this so many times, but I think this is just like an example of like the folks building battle cards, the folks running compete, you don't need to be creating everything yourself. The onus is not on you at all points in time to build all of this collateral source, everything you tap on the relevant teams that like complement the work that you're doing. I think that's a great example. And so this actually leads me to something else that came up in the article is you two both run maturity assessments to see how, yeah, how mature compete programs are, some of the areas for improvement. And one of the interesting things we noticed was that mature programs are three times more likely to be collecting intel and feedback from the revenue teams in the field. How have you seen compete leads effectively bring in feedback that makes its way into battle card content? Yes, so important. I have this hunch that sometimes people like almost hide behind building documents so they don't have to talk to others. Like there's a real, there can be real apprehension to just get in front of people. But I really think that building relationships and having con like consistent and continual conversations with field sellers is the only way to get the best intel for your battle cards. Not only that, it also helps with adoption. So like people need to, you need to go and solicit. One is like test early and often. So sometimes you don't want to start with nothing and just go to the field and say like, what do you want? You want to start with you know, some kind of battle card template that you've thought through. And then you want to take it out and show it to, to people, maybe just a pilot group, solicit their feedback, and then incorporate that and make sure that you really listen, right? Um, and, if the, and if you disagree for some reason with what they're asking for, then you need to understand why before you dismiss it, because those are, the, those are, your, those are your customers. Those are the people that are using your content. Um, so they're the most important um, for you to listen to. Um, and, then, and then I think an, an, an ideal loop would be like, you almost treat it like a product release when you have something new. So you need to, there has to be a good communication plan for messaging that out, depending on your organization. That could be at a team meeting, that could be through Slack or email, that could be, you know, an announcement um, at a larger meeting, like whatever it is. And then you want people to incentivize people to go in and actually try it out and test them. So like you could have a little pitch contest a week later to see who's been able to actually put those talk tracks into practice. And by getting them to do that live, you'll hear what really landed and what was really sticky versus like what they haven't been able to incorporate. And you might even hear good variations on talk tracks, for instance, that you've provided that could inform even better um, iterations of that asset. I, I want to bring up Raina. Raina, I think you're I think you're live with us. We were chatting yesterday because she had a question on this too, which was pretty relevant as well. Um, Raina. Yeah. Hi. I, thanks, Adam. Um, I've been working on battle cards. I've gotten you know I'm in a new program, a new role, uh, and I've been building them like crazy, and am looking for feedback. Like, how do I get folks to really tell me the real real about what they're using and if it's working or not? Yeah, that's a great question. So how good are your, it, it depends on your relationships with, with people. And if you don't really have relationships yet, I would try to build 
decent relationships with a couple of them, like have, you can do a one-on-one like kind of coffee chat and like really start to build rapport and then actually get somebody to give you that transparent feedback. They need to know you and trust you a little bit in order to do that. Um, if it's a bigger team, um, I think kind of like a, like a, almost like a free for all, like contest, like whiteboarding session could be good too. And like, just get people to throw in suggestions. Um, just keeping in mind that, um, you need to really show appreciation for that feedback. Um, people need to be shouted out for, for providing new Intel. And there always has to be that, that acknowledgement and gratefulness or else like sellers don't have the time. Like, you know, <laughs> they're not going out of their way looking necessarily. They, they, they are, they're going after deals. And so it, it, you have to appreciate and respect their time so much, I think. Um, so that it, thanks and shout outs go a long way as well when people do contribute. Hunter, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I was, I was going to say like, if you're going to be running, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll give more of like the, um, the tactical, like, you know, areas to look out for if, uh, if you're, you're struggling with adoption or if you're trying to figure out how to improve adoption. Um, I put on a LinkedIn post about this uh, a little while ago, but basically there are four different areas that I would look at if you're trying to figure out how to improve your content adoption. So the first is going to be, oh, I mean, and you're going to do this likely through sales interviews. So like really pulling up the battle card, like looking through this, trying to understand why are you using it? Why are you, why are you not using it? And so if they're not using it, the four areas that you want to look at is first structure. Is the content easy to navigate? And then once you have actually found a competitive insight that you are looking to use, how easy is it for the sales rep to figure out how to use that? So is it actionable? Is it easy to navigate? That's what falls under structure. The second thing that I would look at is contents. And contents are really like, what is going into the battle card, right? So is it the why we win? Is that what they need? Is it quick dismisses for more of like a high level narrative? Is it objection handling? Any number of different things, but that's what's going to fall under the contents pillar. The third is reliability. So are they not using the content because it hasn't been updated in a while? or because they can't verify for themselves that the content is relevant and up-to-date. So that's that's reliability. And then the last one is accessibility. So can they actually easily find the content itself? Is it stored in a place that is easy to find? Are they you know, trying to search through 50 different versions of the battle card um, in, uh, in Google Drive or something like that? But basically, that's that's what I'd be looking at. So again, it's structure, contents, reliability and accessibility. And those are sort of the four different areas um, that you would want to deep dive into with your, your sellers to understand why are they using or not using your content. We'll be right back after a word from the Compete Network. If you're feeling like a new kid in school when it comes to product marketing, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Maggie Bean, the host of New to Product Marketing, a show for new and aspiring product marketers learning what it takes to launch a successful product marketing career. From deep dives on the fundamentals with experts to learning from other newbies how they made the switch, we're pulling back the curtain with candid, real-life advice to guide you in your PMM journeys. So join me, Maggie Bean, for Season 3 of the New to Product Marketing Podcast, powered by the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. Still looks like she wants to add her two cents here as well, which is always appreciated. Uh, I will first like good conf- confirmation that that helped Raina, but Scott Hassel, is it Hassel? I don't know how to say your last name. Yeah, Hassel, like I won't hassle you. 
<laughs> Except you <clears throat> did. Um, yeah. yeah, Scott made an amazing point, and it's something that we talk about a lot, which is don't like put yourself in deals if you can, like be a fly on the wall or and help out. And like you should be like you should feel comfortable um delivering the things that you put on your own battle cards, right? Like you should, it should feel conversational, it should feel meaningful, and it shouldn't be like a bunch of word salad. So you can test it out. You can go, go in and try it out. If you don't have that ability, um, just sitting in, or if hopefully you have some kind of like call recording software, um, inside, or you can ask somebody to record and then like, listen back and just see how people are actually using it. And then use that, um, to also inform any iterations on your content. I'm, I'm going to call Scott up in a, in a second, actually, that's good timing still, but Raina, like what have, what have you been doing so far as well in terms of trying to generate feedback? Yeah. Um, well, we just launched clue. So, um, well relaunched it anyway, won't get into the nuances. Um, we've been hosting, uh, periodic check-ins they're bi-weekly and just inviting folks to come and share their feedback. And then in return, we're sharing kind of best practice tips, what's new, what I'm working on, um, kind of try to build that back and forth relationship there. Um, but it's more on a group level. So I think uh, diving into the one-on-ones is a really good direction I'm going to do. Cool. Thank you so much as always, Raina, for joining us. Scott, I did want to call on you too, because you made this point that quite a few folks are agreeing with. I wanted your um, experience. What, what are the kind of things you pick up on or learn when you just inject yourself into that deal in order to build battle card content that's actually relevant. Yeah, thanks, Adam. <laughs> I think the first thing is, right, we, sometimes we struggle with, all right, where do I start, right? Which deals am I going to grab? I, I think most of us here have Salesforce or other CRM systems. So, you know, we've got, you know, deals by region. I pick the top deals by region, by competitor. And yeah, you start with the high dollar ones, of course, but there are other ones that might be applicable for other reasons. And then I drop those in a sheet. I start with like 15 against our top five competitors. And I schedule calls with the AEs and the SEs on every one of those opportunities. And um, first, like, hey, guys, reasons for this call is twofold. Number one, I'm here to offer competitive help, competitive strategy. And the second thing is, you know, I want to hear from you what you're seeing, what you're hearing, you know, anything new out there. And uh, those types of calls have been highly successful. So you know, if you use Salesforce, great, start there or whatever CRM system you have. Um, you know, some of us sit in QBR, some of us don't. Those, of course, are ideal. But if you're not in QBRs, then I think your CRM system is, is the next best step for doing that. So That's awesome, Scott. Hunter, yeah, and you, somebody... men you mentioned one thing I just want to throw in. You mentioned yeah. somebody mentioned Gong or whatever. You know, I utilize Gong integration in Clue. And we, I listen probably, I don't know, a couple hours a day to Gong calls. You know, what's great about Gong is you have to sit there and listen to, to a one hour call, right? We have filters set up whenever the prospect or customer mentions one of our competitors. I jump right to the tick point, you know, and I, I listen to what's being said. And, um, you know, somebody mentioned before about common themes recurring and G2 reviews, the same kind of thing with the Gong calls. So you look for repeatable themes and you incorporate are you, that. Are you utilizing stuff from those Gong calls in battle cards at all? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. nice. Yes. And, you know, I'll grab the snippets. I drop them in the Intel Digest. I'll give the Clue product team a shout out. You know, we've been including a lot of that. So that's that's been pretty helpful. And if you want to talk about, you know, driving content, I think the poll before, one of the biggest challenges was adoption. 
I answer every question with a link to the battle card. If somebody's asking about competitor X, I answer with the link. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the first thing I'll drop there. And that, that helps drive your adoption as well, I think. I love that. Thank you so much, Scott. It kind of speaks to this point around you want to be scalable with what you're producing, right? Hunter and Sill, you want to be scalable with the content you're producing that pe folks, like Scott mentioned, that you have good enough battle card content that people can self-serve. But in order to get there, you need to inject yourself into deals. You need to be in the field. You need to be seen as a peer amongst some of these revenue teams as well so that you can build content that will then be self-served at scale, right? Yeah. yeah, and the other big one, and like Scott, I'm curious if you agree, um, is that whole jealousy marketing piece. Like if you can show that people who are using your content are actually tipping deals more, as soon as that happens, um, people tend to want to be on your team with you, right? Like they want to help out and they want to be the person that gets the intel first because they know it's actually going to help them in their role. Like that's, we always have to bring it back to that. Like what's important to the seller? Um, they want to sound smart. They want to make sure they have all the up-to-date intel. They definitely also like the main thing is they want to be winning deals. So if people know that, yeah, your content is helping people win more deals, a lot easier to get those feedback loops up and running. Yeah. And, and I think you do that by staying in front of them. Right. So the, those, those reach outs like, Hey, I see you're up against competitor X here. Let me give you the top five bullet bullets. Right. And how many of us are thinking, Oh my God, you know, when a rep goes, Oh, I need this piece of help, this piece of help. And you're like, Oh, it's in the battle card. It's in the battle cards. But guys, you know, we all know they're busy, right? They're not necessarily <laughs> looking at the battle card, but if you raise that point on those calls, and I'll show them. I won't just tell them the point. I'll pull up the battle card and go here. Oh, there's this. Oh, by the way, here's two or three other things that might be important to you. You know, so it's a, it's a quick enablement session too. Yeah. And it's applicable in that situation. It's the most yeah. applicable as right. possible in that, in that spot, right? They can see what it's doing for them in that very moment. Yeah. yeah. Around the, the topic of deal support too, I, I'm curious to get uh, Clara Smith's take. Um, All right, you let's do it. really built you know, uh, an incredible deal support function with uh, competitive intelligence and competitive enablement at Slack. would love to get your take on how to do that effectively. Yeah, quick uh, shout out really quick. Sorry to interrupt, but, but Clara's feeding the lion sessions was probably one of the best sessions I, I saw for getting engaged and stuff. So thank you for that, Clara. Wow. Absolutely. That's a throwback too. You must, yeah. that must have been memorable. Yeah, I still, I've watched it a couple of times in the past 12 months. So. Clara, Clara is a rock no clue, star. Scott. Thank you yeah, so no. much for your advocacy and support there. Hi, everybody. So nice to meet you. Thank you for your time today. I know it's so tempting to, you know, um, multitask during these Zoom calls, but I know that if you give it a couple minutes, um, you'll get just such huge value out of it. Um, yeah, a couple thoughts to what Hunter was saying. I think deal support is that next step in terms of putting um, battle cards into action, right? So depending on your title, depending on your function, depending on you know how your objectives line up uh, company wide, um, you know deal support is that next step to validating your intel, to adjusting it, um, and even if say you're a PMM or starting out your career and compete. Even if you have just internal facing deal strategizing calls to what Scott said, right? Open up the battle card, open up your uh, top assets and walk them through that. I think that's super, super important. Um, a couple of thoughts around how you could also do this, putting this into action at scale. One, uh, you can make a gong playlist, right? So what Scott was saying, you know, he listens to those gong calls. You can absolutely put that in a short playlist and say, here's the top 
uh, ways that our best sellers have handled competitive objection handling in the past quarter. Give it a listen and you can even search it by snippet. So they're only listening to like 30 seconds per call. That's been super, super effective in terms of advocating for people, putting them on that stage and then allowing them to look like heroes, right? Within the sales team or the sales engineering team. Um, I love that idea of demoing battle cards. That's how you can nail it and scale it. And you could also set the expectations with the business like, hey, this is V1, right? I don't know if it's perfect or not, but we are hoping to finalize this by this date. Please give us input. Keep us honest. We're only as good as the feedback that you're going to give us. And then the last thing is like create a working SWAT team. If you're a one woman or one man shop, right? Put together some of those top sellers, product managers, sales engineers, people who have that input and say, hey, we're going to do a working session. So instead of like assigning out work async and not knowing where that falls, you can always centralize that. So thanks for listening. I know this is like absolutely Hunter and Sylvia's session and they are true geniuses at what they do because they talk to hundreds of customers annually and they can see what's working. And most likely they probably have talked to your competitors. So definitely worth a listen. I, I want all all three of your take here is um again, like you're saying, tap on with that SWAT team, right? Again, it's the burden is not on you to produce all of these competitive insights out of thin air. It's like tap on your team effectively. That's what the best people in compete do. What are some of the SMEs that you recommend folks should be tapping into in order to build strong compete content? Subject matter experts for folks. I so this is an interesting one. Um, I think it depends on what company, like the structure of your team, I think is going to matter a lot to answer that question. Um, but I would say common, the common subject matter experts that you probably want to tap, um, are probably people like your sales engineers, your solutions consultants, your value teams, um, and then your account executives, of course, because they're going to be really, really trying to convey that competitive narrative to prospects and customers. I would also probably speak to customer success and account management. Like your revenue teams are going to be the, the best teams, but I would maybe, if you have access to them, start with sales engineers and solutions engineers. And the reason that I say that is actually, um, it goes back to a conversation, Adam, you had with Kayim and uh, Andy McCarter-Bicknell from, uh, from ClickUp around when he joined ClickUp and he had left Zoom Info, he was like basically starting from scratch with, you know, the, the project management uh, software space. And he was trying to figure out, you know, okay, where do I start here? Uh, and he had mentioned that speaking to solutions engineers was a great place to start because they get into the nitty gritty and they're super, super informed about how to speak to competitors products. So that was a really strong place for them to, um, or for, for him to really start understanding how do we compete against these uh, against these other companies, and and where should I start with the compete program? That's that's such a great point. I'm glad you're, you're tuning into the CE show. I love it. I love it, Hunter. Um, Clara, thank you so much for for joining us. I love you bring sharing your take, sharing your expertise. Um, we didn't even share with everyone in attendance. Clara, you might know her as the person that ran compete at Slack for many years. She is now actually the Director of Competitive Enablement Services at Clue, helping customers and folks alike build best-in-class compete programs. So you'll see a lot more of her face and make sure to hit her up, reach out to her as well. 
Hunter, you mentioned something there around kind of with Kayam. Actually, you mentioned oh, wait, Kayam. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we leave the Smeeze conversation, I have something to add, if that's all right. Go, go, Sil. I think that it's also really important to think about other stakeholders in the company, because like if you talk to product, for example, you might get some really valuable intel about what you're doing internally. Like, what does your product roadmap look like? What is the future state? Sometimes those are really important selling points. Like you may or may not be allowed to talk about, but even hinting at like what might be down the line can can be an important partnership angle. I'm thinking like right now I'm thinking as a software company, but this could be any industry. Other people that I would want to talk to, if I can get their time, are executives because they're going to have the big picture market landscape kind of view. And that can also be, um, it can just give a different kind of sense, like almost like a a breath of fresh air from like getting, oftentimes we can start to get into like the nitty gritty details a lot, but like understanding like the vision, you know, and um, where you sit in the market and like, what's exciting, what could be coming in the future or insights that they've learned from people at that exec level from other companies in your space, for example, like it's just different kinds of Intel um, that allow you to allow you to inform your sellers so that they can speak also to those types of people because they're not necessarily like they could be talking to product people they could be talking to execs they want to know the language they want to be able to speak in their terms um, so I think you can get that valuable intel from all of those people that's such a that's such a great point I I didn't even think about how you could utilize yeah, your your own execs to help zoom out. I think there is that, that proclivity, especially when it's sellers and deals are going to go knit. It's going to go more and more into the details. Whereas as we know, some of the best battle cards don't get focused in on that nitty gritty. It can get down to that, but you need to start with that sort of high talk track positioning statement, whatever you name it there. Um, and talking to the execs that have that sort of broader, broader vision can help you do so. Uh, I want to get onto the topic of building battle card content that doesn't just help with onboarding reps. I think we commonly see, oh, battle cards are helpful for people that new sellers to the space to gear up on, ramp up on some of their competitors. But what are, what have you two seen or how have you seen kind of battle cards evolve within Clue to provide value to a seasoned rep and not just a, a new AE? Hunter, all you. That is such a good question. And it's one that's actually really top of mind for me as well. Um, and Adam, that does go back to the conversation that you had with Kayam, who is actually one of uh, Clue's most tenured account executives, uh, and Annie McCotter-Becknell, who's the head of competitive intelligence at ClickUp, because they had that conversation um, a little while ago. So there were a couple of things from that conversation that I, I think are important to point out. One is that the difference between enabling a new rep or an onboarding rep is very different from enabling someone who's more tenured. They have different needs. And a more tenured rep is, of course, going to probably feel a lot more confident going up against competitors. So what they actually need in battle cards and in competitive enablement in general, because it goes beyond battle cards, um, it's uh, it's going to be different stuff. So I'll start with, you know, what does what does a new rep typically need? They need to get familiar with the competitor and they need very high level talking points around how to navigate competitive situations, especially early in deal cycles, because that every single one of their deals is going to be early in the deal cycle when they're starting. When you start to, to speak about more tenured reps, um, typically what they're looking for from, from what I've seen 
is they want they're they're not going to be going into the battle card and like reviewing it before you know every single call they're probably going to feel very familiar with the contents of that battle card but one thing that i've heard from from more tenured reps that they're looking for is they want to know what's changed in the battle card and what's been updated and typically this is not going to be those like high level points uh because they're already familiar with that they're not even necessarily looking for like feature level things because they they know not to go super super deep into that stuff um in a lot of cases but what they're looking for are what are the new customer stories that i can reference you know what are the changes in the proof points and maybe even better talk tracks that i can be leveraging to communicate these competitive insights more effectively that's going to be one of the first ones so they want to know what's changed in the battle card the second is they actually pay attention a lot to the competitive newsletter. So if you're sending out a competitive newsletter, either weekly or bi-weekly at Clue, we do ours on Thursday, um, on Thursdays, and Brandon does an incredible job at putting those together. Tenured reps really like to stay on top of that because it's a really, really good way to understand what is basically what's changed uh, in you know the past week or past two weeks in our competitive landscape that I would feel that I'm missing out on if I don't have that intel. They don't want to be, you know, the person who doesn't know what's going on. They want to be perceived as the expert because they've been there the longest. So the newsletter is going to be a really incredible way to get them up to speed. And then the last one is going to be around deal support. And this is something that Andy McCotter um, pointed out and Kayam jumped onto it because he he engages in tons of deal support at Clue um, and he's an incredibly tenured rep. So what does deal support look like for, for Kayam? He typically pulls in... Uh, Brandon, our competitive enablement manager, uh, to deals to do competitive dif differentiation sessions and deep dive sessions. Because when you can have a subject matter expert on the call to speak to, you know, these um, these competitive differences, that can be a massive value add for the prospect or the customer. So those are typically some of the ways that you would uh, create competitive content, competitive enablement that really engages those more tenured reps. So it's what has changed on the battle card since I last came into it. Second is that competitive newsletter that, you know, weekly or bi-weekly refresh of what's changed in the in the competitive landscape. And three is like in-person high-touch competitive deal support. Still, that was, Hunter, that was very comprehensive. I don't know if you have anything to add on that one, Sil, because no, that was, <laughs> that is, it's such a great point though, because you mentioned that with with like again, we'll use Kaim as an example, someone that's been at Clue for many, many, many years, knows our competitors inside and out. The fact that someone of his tenure is still relying or leaning on competitive content goes to show that it's not just for those new reps. And I love that kind of message of like what's new. I mean, so many things have changed within our own landscape at Clue or deals given. I don't know, changes in the economy, changes in what competitors are doing, like things are always changing. So you're never fully on top of it. And I think that what's new, what are you missing out on? What's something that I, I can't remember what you meant. You said there, Hunter is a lot more eloquent than I'm saying right now, but what is the thing I'm missing out on that would help me win that deal? Um, I love that. I want to get into Sil. I want to get into a little bit of like the distribution side of things too. I think we've talked about kind of gathering feedback, how do you get this SWAT team together, getting people invested? But it's it's definitely not, it's a build it and they won't come kind of deal. You can't just build these and expect them to get used. So how, how do you see the, like what are some best practices around the distribution of your battle card content? 
Ooh, that's a good question. Um, also, Veronica posed a good question in the chat, which we should get to as well. Um, sure. But I would say know the chan know the communication channels that your sellers, if we're talking about sellers, that your sellers use and try to put everything there. Like don't don't make a new workflow for them at all costs, like if you can avoid it. Um, so and sometimes you have to message things out into multiple channels and multiple times. Like don't forget, as we've been re like emphasizing over and over again, people are so busy. Plus, they're used to getting a million notifications a day on their phone. And so you have to, you kind of have, it's like a timing game. Like sometimes you have to hit people at the right time or they're never going to see it. And sometimes that means hitting them in multiple places and multiple times. And then again, I think like going back to what we we're saying before is like creating those feedback loops. If the content is great, if you have good relationships with the people that you're helping out, your stakeholders, um, then hopefully they're looking forward to your communications, right? Um, so you might even need to do some workshopping sometimes around what those communication channels are and what's working, what's not outside of just the content question. Mm -hmm. Should we get to, let's get to Veronica's question as well, because so you noted it, you're like, I want to get to this one. Uh, Veronica is tending to new mom duties right now. So I will ask it on her behalf. Um, what guidelines do others have around sharing battle card Intel with channel partners? who are also going to be working with your competitors. Yeah, I do wonder if anybody in the room has thoughts on that. It's a really tricky one. David Cox is nodding his head. Maybe he wants has something to say. <laughs> it's a redacted version is what I use. Like, that's my TLDR. <laughs> yeah, David. Unfortunately, I'm in the situation. Say, okay. I, I don't have anything to, to bring more to that, but uh, okay. <laughs> I'm looking for the answer as well. Out. Hunter, do you have anything to, to note on that front? Because it is this funny dance. Yeah, you've got, you're playing nice, but you know that they're also working with competitors as well. I think that this is probably something that's going to be on like a company by company basis, to be honest. Like channel partners can come in a variety of different shapes and sizes. And so, yeah, I would lean into what Sil said around a redacted version is probably going to be the place to start, but figuring out yeah, figuring out what's the right way to do it by like actually speaking to them uh, is probably going to be, you know, a, a good way to to start that conversation. Yeah, now that I uh, I worked very closely with channel partners and uh, a couple of companies ago, and that's the dichotomy here is like, how do you offer compete as a service to them that they're not getting from the other solutions that they're selling, right? So how do you get in front of them and give your high level positioning, your high level value prop points that maybe aren't competitor specific so they know your messaging? And then the second piece, just like Hunter said, is talk to them. Maybe you'll get intelligence from them. Maybe you'll understand why, why and when do they sell your product versus why and when do they sell your competitor's market product. Maybe it's a price point. Maybe it's a segment thing. Maybe it's an industry thing. So uh, it's a double-edged sword. Like you can give, but you can also get a lot from them. And I used to literally get in front of partners and present to them competitive differentiation, but that was only if I would get information from them. And that relationship was like the top relationship in terms of channel partner ranking. Hope that David, helps, what, Veronica. <laughs> David, what's kind of your experience right now? On, the, on this front? I'm at the very beginning of my journey here. So it's, uh, I've just started a new position at a new company doing new things and we don't have any battle cards. So I'm building 
CI from the ground up. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're joining us here. This is this is a fast track to learn. I think with Hunter Sill, Claire, and the rest here with you as well. Um, let's get in. Sorry, I'm I'm working on the pins here. Um, let's get back into distribution because I didn't. We we kind of pivoted away. And Hunter, I kind of want your take as well from like a tactical standpoint. Where where are some of the ways you can incorporate your battle card content to make sure it's getting used? And sorry, what what exactly is the is the question? Like the sorry, distribution of your battle card content. That's build it and they won't come. Yeah, well, well, that's the thing is like you don't necessarily want them to come to you. Like you want to go to them. Like you don't want to recreate the wheel here by saying like, here's this, this new way that you should be engaging with our competitive content. Ideally, the way that you do it is you figure out what are the workflows that they want to be engaging with the competitive content in, and you put the competitive content there. So it's not a build it and they will come. It's a build it and go to them. It's a mobile home. It's not a baseball field. <laughs> yeah. How do you have these analogies up, up your sleeve? So, I don't know. Uh, inspired, inspired by uh, we've had a lot of talks about baseball recently. So I don't. Field of Dreams came into mind. If you build, isn't that what that's from? If you build it, they all come. Um, oh man, sorry, I had a point and I just lost it. <laughs> it wasn't you know what, a contribution. It was something else. But I apologize. It went. It left my mind. Well, with David jumping on here, and I'm I apologize for this one being a bit too vague of a question. But with David saying, I'm coming in here, I'm starting from scratch. I'm sure there's a lot of folks in attendance who will be listening to this recording, starting from scratch, battle cards from zero. If you two were starting at fictitious company, let's even say you're starting at Clue and you're going from scratch to build battle cards, what would be your first handful of steps? So... The very first thing I would do, I would, I typically think about these things in like the sense of like a very early stage, like product launch. It's not like a, you know, not like a big established company product launch, but like, let's say you're creating a startup and you want to figure out if your idea is good. What are you going to do? You're going to build a very simple version of your product. Well, first of all, you're going to talk to people and then you're going to build a simple version of your product and you're going to launch it and iterate, um, you know, early and often. Right. I would take a very similar approach with building battle cards. Um, I would have those high level conversations with sellers, you know, if that's going to be my main audience, first of all, because it could be BDRs. I've seen that it could be executives, but really speak to your audience. What are you looking for? What do you not have right now? What are the gaps um, when uh, when you have these conversations, these competitive conversations with prospects and customers? Um, what do you need? And starting off with that type of conversation. Then I would maybe think about like, where do you want this delivered to you? But I think that that's maybe further down the line. Then I would probably take like a very early crack at building that battle card. Now, typically what we see is there are three different things that sellers are looking for when, uh, when you're first getting started with building competitive content. The first thing is a quick dismiss. So it's the high level narrative. If someone hits us with, how are you different from X? You know, how do you answer that question? It's, it's the thing that if you ask 10 of your sellers, how are you different from this competitor? It's, it should be that consistent narrative so that you get, you know, the same answer every time, not, you know, ask 10 people, get 11 different answers kind of thing. Right. So the quick dismiss would be one of the first places I would start. Then I would go a little bit um, deeper into the why we win. What's that value edge for us, right? What are the things that we do well? that our competitor doesn't do as well as us, that customers frequently care about. 
that's going to be my why we win. And I'd probably create a couple different points based on that. Um, and I would likely try and find those either from G2 reviews or speaking directly with customers. I would try and do some very, very early stage win loss. Then the, the next side of that is why are we losing? And I wouldn't phrase this as a why we lose. I would actually phrase this as objection handling or uh, as countering competitor claims. Because there are going to be certain things that realistically you just don't do as well as your competitor, or at least your buyers frequently perceive that your, your competitor does it better than you. And your reps need to know how to handle those. That's that's the reality. They don't want to be you know caught in between a rock and a hard place. They want to know how to navigate those more challenging, reactive competitor objections, those conversations. So it's those three things that I'd probably end up starting with. It's the quick dismiss, the why we win points, and objection handling points. Um, and then from there, it would be, again, iterate early and often, continuously get feedback. Um, and then I would say that the next step after this is as soon as I'm, I'm comfortable, I would try and get involved in, in deal support. There's no better way um, to test your messaging uh, than to do it yourself in a lot of cases. So. That's kind of how I would approach it if I were like thrown into the mix, brand new, kicking a compete program off from from scratch. <laughs> I was waiting for Adam to ask me to talk, but I can tell by your smile you're just inviting me to. So, um, I would we have a sales confidence survey that uh, you can download, which uh, for free and it's easy to find. Actually, I'm sure somebody's going to pop the link in the chat right now. But I think it's a great resource. I would say if you're just starting out, though, sending a an, an anonymous kind of survey out is not a great way to make friends. So that's where you can like schedule those like little. Um, small group sessions or even one-on-one -on -one chats with people to like, and just go through those survey questions with them verbally, um, rather than asking them to fill out yet another form or poll. Um, and then also like, well, I mean, I think Hunter as usual covered off everything really, really well, but I would say one other source of great intel is this, your CRM. If you're keeping track of win loss notes, um, I would be looking at every one deal and every loss deal for the first <laughs> three months, if I could, and really digging into like what was actually going on there. And I wouldn't always trust the accuracy of the win loss notes either. So I would potentially, if I can, I would listen to the calls. I would check to see if I agree. That's also going to be a really good way to determine which of your stakeholders are like reliable sources of intel for you and which ones actually are like not always getting the point because if what they report is different from what you surmise from what you can observe yourself um you need to be aware of that too because you need to know whose intel is most trustworthy from your field i i want to close i'm i see her in the in the room and I think this is relevant too because a familiar face in the compete community is here, Ashley Isinger, who just started a new role, a new compete role. So I kind of want to get her take on maybe what she's doing with with this exact question. What are the first couple of things? I know that you're inheriting an existing compete program, but still, I think the question still like pertains to you as someone that's inheriting a new role, a new program. What are some of the first things you're thinking about with the battle cards? So I think that a lot of what's said is totally applicable to me too. going through compiling information from my, my uh, top SMEs, first of all, figuring out who those top SMEs are super important, <laughs> going through win loss notes in CRM, all of those things. And then I think figuring out where all of the rest of your competitive information lies, because 
if you, even if you're inheriting a compete program, if there's any time that's lapsed, or if maybe your sellers also like to build their own compete materials, which has happened before, then getting a hold of all of those materials in the same place, um, figuring out what like the good nuggets are, and then compiling those into battle cards or, you know, maybe even other kinds of compete materials is sort of like a first step for me. So it's figuring out who my key players are, uh, compiling all the information I can from various sources, and then figuring out of all of this information, what's going to be the most useful right now. Um, and then being able to kind of tear that out as well so that I can build a battle plan going forward as, okay, here's the foundation I have where are the gaps in my information or maybe how would I level this up for my older or more experienced sellers, et cetera. So for me right now, it's a lot of compiling, getting to know people, figuring out where my key SMEs are, and then putting things together that will deliver that sort of quick value for them so that they can see, oh, hey, talking to Ashley is better than building my own one-off battle card that I'll share with my own team and then nobody else will ever see it. Um, the other thing I would say too is, and I know that this isn't specific to battle cards, but putting all this information into battle cards is key. So kind of related, get into your seller's meetings, like join their join their team meetings, join any kind of like larger meetings that they have. Same thing with your product folks. Your, uh, I love that we're including customer success in here and account management. So important, especially now in the in the ec- in the economic times that we live in. Right, uh, going through and being a face that they can see and chiming in and taking notes and following up with them on their good notes means that you're showing them that you're invested, you're listening to them, and that you're going to do something with the information that they're putting out there. I cannot express to you how important it is not only to recognize good information and acknowledge it, but then to act on it because people stop giving out information if they realize like you're not really doing anything with it or if you're if they don't see what you're doing with it, right? So shout outs are also a great thing here. I love um, the idea of a gong playlist. I'm 100% stealing that. I've put gong calls in places, but never a playlist. Love that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the deal that I'm, uh, or the, the plan that I'm working on for my first couple of weeks. Ashley, I think that's a mic drop to end the session here. Thank you so much. Colin, calling on you, but shoot by the hip, just off the top drops that. So thank you so much. We're wrapping up here. I know we've gone a little bit over the top of the hour. Hunter and Sill, how can people reach you? Uh, LinkedIn for me. Um, that's the uh, the best place to go. Yeah. yeah. Hunter Stones on LinkedIn. Yeah. And my name is R-A-Y-N-E-R Rainer Adam or whoever wrote that email. <laughs> I'm just going to look, look away. Look away. No eye contact. Uh, Hunter and Sill, you two rock. Thank you so much for joining me. And everyone in attendance, drop your questions, sat in, shared your notes, shared your feedback. So appreciated my favorite hour of the month. So we'll catch you all this time next month. Thank you.